Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. If you are three years old up to fifth grade now, you guys can head up to uh, Children's Church upstairs. And parents, you after church, you can go upstairs in the youth room to go grab them uh, when they're all done. If you brought your Bibles this morning, why don't you flip open to uh, Acts chapter 23 with me this morning. I have one last announcement. Um, you know, we've been through, uh, going through this Acts series, um, talking about being witnesses in, uh, everywhere we go, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you have, ladies, in this room, you have an opportunity to be a witness to those around you. And that opportunity comes December 1st. Uh, it is the annual ladies' Christmas party. And so you have a great opportunity to invite people around you and at least throw out the invitation. Hey, would you come with me to this? Um, hey, would this be interesting to you? December 3rd, not 1st. Sorry, December 1st you're decorating. December 3rd is the ladies' program. But uh, hey, this invitation is in your guys' bulletin. Uh, if you need more, there's some on this table back here uh, and some on the information table. But hey, it is just a night where you guys can come, invite your friends, and say, hey, before the whole Christmas se uh, season starts, uh, let's just come and have a night where we can take a step back and get ready for this season. And so this is a great opportunity for you guys to reach out to your friends. I know the gospel message is being shared that night. And so, um, hey, it is your way of being able to say, hey, this is important to me. Why don't you come and join me with that? Okay. So I'm sure a lot of you are wondering how well I'm doing. And so I will answer that question. I am doing just fine. Um, I am off the drugs. So um, I found out that uh, I am a really angry person when I get drugs in me. So I would not be a... I, I like how happy I am without drugs. So uh, I found that out. I did not know that about myself, but that was kind of fun. I don't get sick or anything like that when I'm oxycodone. I just get angry. Um, and it wasn't like I was yelling at my kids, don't worry about that or anything. Like, I was just like, I'd read a news story and I'd just go off in my mind, right? Or some sort of text would, you know, like Brad would send me a text and I'd all of a sudden be, I'm just joking, it didn't happen. But uh, <laughs> Uh, no, it's, I'm, I'm doing great. Everything's okay. I have a checkup this Tuesday and uh, I, think, I think everything will be fine. They sent me home right away and so uh, we are okay in our household and Ivy is doing amazing and so, uh, hey, it's, it's a great time to be alive in the runner household. So I want to start this morning uh, by reading this together because we're going to be back at it again. And I do want to say hugely, uh, Dave, thank you so very much uh, for uh, being here and being willing to stand up in front and share uh, the message that God has given on your heart. Uh, you're pretty fantastic. So thank you very much for doing that. So good job. Uh, but I want to read Acts uh, 1-8 together as a church because uh, we're nearing the end. And I don't want to forget that the whole foundation of 
the book of Acts is this, is that God wants us to be doing this right here. So let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's exactly the whole point is that we are God's witnesses everywhere we go. If you haven't been here, that looks like this. We are God's witnesses in Glasgow, Valley County, Montana, and to the rest of the world, okay? And so uh, this is no different this morning. We're going to continue on where we kind of find, we're going to skip a couple chapters um, of just Paul's traveling to different churches, and we're going to kind of get to kind of the last kind of hurrah for Paul in where he's headed to the end of Acts. And so this kind of starts it all. But I want to tell you that I think um, I've realized that you guys know that I I love kind of superheroes and different things like that. But as I've been reading Paul a little bit more, I, I really feel like if there's a superhero that I could attain in this world, you know, like I've always thought like I could fly would be amazing, but I have to wait for heaven for that. But, um, but one of the super, like, human things that I've always wanted now, not always wanted, I, I can remember when I was in high school, but that I think I could attain is being quick-witted, right? Have you ever met somebody who's just so quick-witted that you're just like, man, I really wish I could be like you? No, Brad, stop pointing to yourself, right? <laughs> but I remember this one story. My dad is sitting there, and uh, we're, in that, uh, we're in our house, and... And I have a problem with extending the truth a little bit or leaving the truth out of some things, okay? And so um, I was little and my dad was trying to tell me these things about, hey, the importance of not lying, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. And so my dad was, uh, was getting really frustrated because I, I wasn't telling the whole story. And so, of course, in my kind of... Uh, if you know my dad a little bit, he kind of just snaps and says something sometimes. He's, uh, I love my dad. And so he said, you need to understand something. Liars are friars, right? Liars are friars. And all of a sudden, my, uh, my brother, who is four years older than me, completely different room, right? Completely different room goes, yeah, and when they die, they lie still. <laughs> right? And my dad just looks at him and goes, that defeats the purpose, right? And so my brother John has always been super quick-witted, right? I I met a guy this, uh, or I didn't meet a guy because he's a friend of mine, but we were talking at the gymnastics place on Friday, and I asked him, hey, how's it going? And uh, he just became a cop, and uh, so I, I was asking him how things are going with him and and how he feels the job is going, and he says, really good. He says, but I find myself not being like a super aggressive guy. Like I, I feel like verbal judo is a lot better than like, you know, being aggressive. And I was like, verbal judo? Like that's, that's a really good phrase. Tell me about that. And so he goes into there. He's like, I'm really good at like talking people down or figuring things out. And then, and then I go along and I'm starting to see because, uh, because the new... Uh, the new Star Wars movie has like Yoda when he's like young, like a little kid instead of being way older. And so then I think about all these Jedi mind tricks, right? Like these are not the drones you're looking for. I mean, like all these different things. And have you ever like heard people like just kind of 
find a room and then they're just like, watch the grenade I'm going to like drop off and they pull the pin and they throw it in the room and they say something and then all of a sudden you watch all these people explode and, and like it just like, the conversation goes on forever. They're like, that was a really good question. I'm really good at those, by the way. But, um, or you get in a room and if you know anything also about me, if I know that you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat. If I find that you're a Democrat, I'm a Republican. If I know that you look at some way of looking at the Bible, I'm the complete opposite. I always love doing that, right? But part of that is because I think that I love to, I mean, I, I like to get in there just to make people think a little bit differently. But this is exactly where we find ourselves in this story of Paul's narrative. And actually, I would have to say that this is where we also find where Paul's demise is a little bit. Not that this is bad or anything like that, but this is a place in which we start to realize that this is going to be the end for Paul. Not because he's, because if we're quick-witted, sometimes what happens, we can come across as very satirical, very actually short with somebody, or we kind of don't find how much our words actually hurt somebody. If we're a verbal judo type of person, uh, it comes to the point of maybe we start thinking that we're a little bit smarter than the person that's across from us. If we start being the person that wants to throw grenades in all the time, it becomes, hey, wait a second, maybe we're just causing strife to cause strife. Maybe if we talk about these Jedi mind tricks and everything like that, it's almost like we're doing it to get our way. And I don't think that that's where Paul is going here. I think Paul in this story that we're going to read this morning is all about saying, hey, wait a second, where are you at right now? And I'm going to push you a little bit with the truth to actually see where you stand on something. And so we are going to read this story together in the whole entire chapter of Acts 23, and we're going to break it up into four sections but I, I want you to realize that we're going we're gonna to follow the narrative because really it is just a story. But I think that as I've looked over this more and more, there's these four sections that kind of allow us to go, wait a second, how does this maybe apply a little bit to how I see the world around me? How do I view it? How do I interact with the world around me? Just like either Paul does or what is God doing in my heart when I find myself in a situation? Because over and over again, we've been seeing how Paul and the rest of the church deals with trials, deals with tribulations, deals with maybe the scripture coming out. And today is not much different except for the fact that I think that it's starting to come to the point of going, this is how you guys are going to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outer ends of the earth. And so, once again, if you have your Bibles, let's uh, dive right on into Acts 23, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. And this is what it says. We find that Paul is in front, uh, finds himself actually, after he follows, uh, I should back up, after he's done checking up on all of his churches, he feels like he needs to come back to Jerusalem, and he comes back to Jerusalem, and where's the first place he goes? He goes back to the temple, and now these people, the Sanhedrin, which we've talked about before, are all together, and they're really saying, hey, wait a second, once again, you're messing up things, we don't, we don't, we don't want to go where you're going, but here's the deal, we're going to put you on trial a little bit and see 
kind of how much you're actually going to go. And so he's standing in front of everybody, in front of the council, and this is what it says. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. There's another version that says, you whitewashed walls. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare to insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied, for the scripture says, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Once again, he's digging also, but he's also giving himself a way out, right? Like, sorry, I didn't realize you were a high priest, you're not acting like one. And also, uh, and also uh, that's not the way we choose high priests, and so you're, I mean, it's just this kind of... Paul is literally digging himself a hole. And if there's anybody who knows how to dig himself a hole better, it's me. All right. So it continues to go on and says, uh, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were, some were Pharisees. So not only has he been quick-witted right now, he's going into actually throwing in a grenade. And this is where he's going to throw in a grenade. You ready? Paul realized that some were members of the high councils were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. Pharisees, by the way, believe in resurrection of the dead. Sadducees do not. Okay? And so this divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees, for Sadducees said, there's no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe all of these things. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers in religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. See, we see nothing wrong with him. So all of a sudden, the Pharisees are like, hey, we see nothing wrong with him. He's here defending that he believes in this. And the other people are like, we see everything wrong with him because he's doing this. And so now it's not about him anymore. It's about the two people wanting to be right. And as the conflict grew, grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been witness here to me, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. I think this first 11 verses in this chapter are, are pretty interesting. The fact that you kind of see a different side of Paul. This is kind of the first time we see Paul actually arguing in the high council. We see lots of other times where he says he's arguing for the gospel and everywhere he goes. But this is the first time where we actually see the quick-wittedness of Paul. The idea that, man, he knows what's going on in everything around him, and he's willing to kind of put the truth out there. But I think there's something interesting in this is that what would happen if we all stood on trial? What would happen if we found ourselves in front of people that we had to answer to and it was either, our, it was either a life or death thing? 
Would we crumble and would we, would we actually give in to some of our beliefs and say, hey, you know what, you're right, I, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of believe what you believe to make you happy and kind of get out of things? Would we be able to look at other people and go, hey, I actually am playing the long game here and you guys have chosen for years not to listen to the gospel anyway? How does he kind of, kind of skate out of this? And then there is all of a sudden, hey, he gets taken back to the fortress where he's being held, right? And we would expect a jailbreak. We would expect everything else that's been going on for a really long time in the book of Acts where angels show up, right? And all of a sudden the shackles are off and they're able to walk out or the Roman guards just fall asleep so that they can walk out. All of these things. And yet we come to the very end of going, hey, it's not over. You standing in front of people defending your faith is not over. And you're going to continue to keep on going it. And, he's, and he has Jesus himself come to him and say, hey, you're still going to preach to me, but not just here. It's going to be in Rome. And so prepare yourself. He doesn't know when it's going to happen, but prepare yourself. And I wonder if we would be prepared to suffer the consequences of truth what would happen if we stood up for truth over and over again are we prepared for the consequences that come with that being locked up into a fortress and we're going to be talking about this but hey it it goes on for quite a while longer before paul even gets to rome And just so you're aware, some of you might go, well, aren't consequences bad? No, consequences are just the things that happen after something happens. And so if we were to kind of translate this into kind of where you're going in your life and where I'm going in my life, the, the first thing is this, is, and if you're taking notes, here it is. For us is, no matter the outcome, is the truth on our lips. No matter the outcome, the truth needs to be on our lips. See, not, not half-truths, right? Not uh, kind of just getting us by so that we're not getting in so much trouble, but absolutely everything. Paul is unbelievable when he comes in front of these people and he goes, I just want to let you know that I have an absolute clear conscience. When it comes to God and where him and I are at, I have a clear conscience. And everybody else around him is sitting there going, is sitting there going, no, you're wrong. How do you, how do you then know what truth is? It's a huge question, right? And I'm not going to go down the ra rabbit hole of what's absolute truth and all that stuff. But, but here's the kicker. is how is your conscience with God? Could you honestly, in, in whatever, if you were in front of a council or in front of your spouse or in front of your parents or in front of a close friend and you were sitting there with them and they say, how are you doing? Or tell me what's actually going on in your life. Do you have a clear conscience with God? Not with them, but with God to be able to talk to them. No matter the outcome, 
no matter the outcome of whether they choose to slap you in the face, whether they choose to get really upset with you, is the truth of the gospel more important than hiding a lie? Is the truth of the gospel changing our hearts and working on it more important than losing everything? Because this for Paul has to be where he comes up to is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than absolutely my life. Which means that as he sees that, then there is a calling for him, right? Once he sees that nothing else is more important than this, I have a calling to live my life for Christ. How many of you in this moment, how many of us, not just you, but us, include me included are sitting here that maybe we're allowing things to get in the way of doing what God has been calling us to do for a long time maybe it's been things in our minds that's going hey I can't do that maybe it's been uh, situations we've got ourselves in that when we finally get to that point we can't get there maybe we've been building a lie for so entirely long that we can't get out of it maybe maybe we don't understand the love of God in our lives to be able to move us forward. Whatever it is, I wonder if we can get to this point that no matter the outcome, the truth needs to be on our lips. Matthew 12, 34 says something like this. It says, you brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Where's our hearts today? Are they divided? Are they separated? Are they, are they holy gods? Or are they holy somebody else's? Are they in turmoil? Do we maybe not trust? And then there's a Proverbs that has been with me for a really long time. And, and my dad taught me this one when we were really young, speaking of the quick-wittedness and the idea of telling the truth. And my dad used to always say this to me because um, I, would pro I would do something in my house and my dad would quote this Proverbs. And it's Proverbs 28, 1. And this is what it says. And my dad would say, the guilty flee before being pursued. And the New Living Translation says, the wicked run away when no one is chasing them but the godly are as bold as lions. And why does this verse have anything to do with what's going on with Paul in this narrative? And it's this, is that when we have gone and said, we don't have anything to fear. When we have chosen that God is way more important, we don't have to run away from men. We can be as bold as lions. We are not guilty of anything but my question would be do you do you trust God enough for that I want to take a quick tangent and go right back to kind of what's happening I'm working on a sermon series right now kind of talking about the four times of being with Jesus or four portions of being with God throughout your day and it's going to be a, a four sermon series it's way in the future and I'm working on it, but one of the things that I thought is interesting is that one of the portions of being with God is the midnight portion. Not the morning, not the afternoon, 
not the dinner time, but the midnight watch. And there's something involved in that that I thought was fairly interesting is, is Jesus comes to him at night. When he's done with all of his day and he's sitting there trying to wrap everything together and kind of going, what's going on? What's going to happen next? I don't know where I'm going. That's where God shows up. And he says, just trust me. But you see, I think that's interesting about nighttime is that ultimately being with God at night is the ultimate trust of God. The fact that we can close our eyes, unpack the day with him and allow him eight hours. Some of you is eight hours. Some of you is four hours. Some of you is two hours. Then you get up to pee and then two more hours and you get up to go to the bathroom. I don't know. But during those times, here's the deal. Ultimately, we're trusting God to take care of it all. And so I wonder, in in that moment, can we trust God in absolutely everything? With our leftover emotions from the day, with the questions or the struggles that we might have, to go, God, I'm allowing you to take care of them. The next section in this story is found in Acts 23, 12 through 16, and it goes on to say in that, Because here's what happens after he throws the grenade in and he goes back. He says, the next morning a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. They went to the leading priests and elders and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. I really like, I really like the hilarity of those four verses, by the way. Um, The ironicness of this. First of all, I just want to say, uh, the, the first thing is, these people claim that they are following God, and they are breaking one of the Ten Commandments right away, right? right? We're going to kill somebody, right? We follow God, but we're going to kill somebody, okay? Which, is, which cracks me up. And the next thing is, is this, is that they make this oath that they're not going to eat or drink anything until Paul is killed. How, how long are you willing to go for an oath? Like, the thing that pops up in my mind is they have passion with no follow-through. Are you, when we make an oath, are we really willing to follow through, even though all the other things around us are happening? I just, I just look at this oath and I go, there is so much wrong with this. What hatred would bring us to the point of wanting to kill somebody? And also, are we really willing to match our words with them, our, our actions? So once again, if you're taking notes, 
make sure your words are the same as your actions. Jesus even says this in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. He says, You have also heard that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out your vows you make to the Lord. And they did, by the way. We have made an oath to God that we will not eat or drink until we kill Paul. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne and you're not there. And do not say by the earth because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great God. Do not even say by my head for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just simply say, yes, I will or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. It's, that verse is unbelievable to me because right away I just look at it and I go, if you wonder where your allegiances lie or these people allegiances lie, look at their vows that they're making. I say things to my kids because I, I have to say, I swear I'm going to do this, right? Because why, why do I do that? Because my actions previously or my, my, well, yeah, my actions previously have not proven that that's where I'm at. I'm a trickster a lot of the times with my kids. I might say one thing and do another, and they don't quite know where is dad actually serious or not. Make sure your words are the same as your actions. And this one, by the way, is way harder said than done. Do they align with who God is? Are you looking at your actions and going, hey, they align right with God? I was watching this show the other day and there were just stuff that were coming on that just hit a lot of my moral codes. And I started just kind of going, Man, I'm really interested in the plot of this, so I'm going to keep watching. And all of a sudden, I kind of heard this voice, and it's the Holy Spirit just saying, really, do you want to continue to watch these things that go against your moral code just so you can know how a plot turns out? So you're saying that these are your moral codes, and you don't stand up for them, and you, and you won't condone them, but you're willing to endure them so you can know the plot twist. We, we do that all the time. And then all of a sudden we wonder, why is it okay that we are starting to allow things to slip in our moral code? Or how we kind of go, oh, that's not important to us. But yet they're big things. I think Philippians 1, 27 through 30 has a great thing. If you're going to have your yes be yes and your no be no in Philippians, he goes like this and he says, hey, but above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. 
So if we're going to tell the truth always and our actions are going to match our words, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together in one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated any, any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have not been given, sorry, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past. And he goes on to say, and you know that I will still, that I am still in the midst of it. Man, it's, it's going to be a struggle to continue to make our actions and our, wor- our words match up with our actions. But what a great place to be by going, God, we want to do what you're calling us to do. And so, Lord, would you help my words be my actions? Moves into right away in this story where Paul's nephew comes and talks to Paul then in verses 17 through 24, and he goes on to say this. He says, Paul called for the Roman officer and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, so the officer did explaining Paul the prisoner called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you the commander took his hand and led him aside and asked what is that that you want to tell me Paul's nephew told him some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow pretending that they want to get some more information but don't do it there are more than 40 men hiding along the way to ambush them they have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know what you told me. No, you told me this. The commander warned the young man. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spears person and 770 mounted troops. Provided, provided, sorry, provide horses for Paul to ride provide horses for Paul to ride and give him safety to Governor Felix. There's not much here except for this. This is, I wonder if 40 guys died 10 days later or 16 days later. How long can you live without water? Anybody know? I can't tell you. Three days, right? Three days? Four days? Let's go, let's give them five, okay? They're superhumans. It's five days. We don't know anything about it, right? That's the only thing I think about in my mind as I read that piece of narrative is, I wonder if 40 guys died six days later. But this is what I think is interesting about the story is it's really not about those guys. It's about moving the truth forward. And this is what I think is interesting about this commander that comes is is what, how's his response? No, we are going to make sure that we protect Paul. And so in our lives, in our circumstance, I wonder if we should ask ourselves this question. So once again, number three, when faced with the truth, how do you react? When faced with the truth, how do you react? 
Now we move into a little bit of if we were going to talk about, hey, no matter what the outcome is, truth should be on our lips and make sure that your actions match your words. And the next one is this, is what happens when truth comes our way? What would happen if, man, the person that was, that was actually finally willing to tell you the truth and they told you the truth, what would your reaction be? Would you throw up your hands and say, I'm done? Would you walk with them? Would you do whatever you could to protect that truth and go, hey, we're going to move forward as a family unit, would you look at it and go, I'm going to separate myself as quickly as possible from the outfall of this and so we're done? What would you do? I think it's interesting that his reaction, the commander's reaction is, hey, we just need to get him to the safe place. We need to get him moving on to be able to do this. And, and this really is all about God, right? At this very moment in this narrative, it's all about God. God's witness being moved forward. God is protecting Paul because God has already told him, hey, you're going to be my witness in Rome. And so here's the deal. God is answering his promise to Paul. But for us sitting here on this side of the narrative, I wonder if we can ask ourselves when faced with the truth, how do we react? Do we react with anger? Do we react with sadness? Do we react with guilt? Do we, uh, how, how is that? And so these verses in Mark 4, 9, and I know that it's not going to be up on the board, but uh, Jesus says this, he says, for those of you who have ears to hear, hear. Which is kind of funny because guess what? I don't know of anybody uh, like in this room right now. Maybe you don't, but I, I think all of you guys were born with ears. And so he's not making a statement that, oh, wait a second. Those of you guys who, um, those of you guys who uh, are born with ears, maybe you should figure out a way to hear. No, that, I, I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying... Would you hear what's really going on? Would you actually take a step back and listen? Would you get outside of your prideful arrogance? Would you get outside of your verbal judo of wanting every, everything to do what you want to do, your mind tricks, your grenades, and actually know when you walk into a room what's going on? Where's the heart of that person? What's going on? What's happening? Are they hurting? Do they need help? Maybe when they're trying to come to you with the truth, maybe you go, that's not the whole truth. That's not the whole truth. Here's what's really happening and going on. And so as we get the whole entire picture, we begin to actually react in the right way. We get to start reacting in love. We get to start reacting in not blowing up, but, go, but taking a step back and putting all the pieces together and going, how do we best put God first in this situation and help people walk closer to God? 1 Corinthians 1, 24 through 25 says this. 
It says, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Which is really funny because God doesn't have any weaknesses, but Paul is trying to make a point. This idea that God's ways are always better than our ways. Then when we look at uh, the commandment of Jesus to say, love the Lord your God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself is exactly how we react when faced with the truth. Now realize that this isn't a capital T truth or anything like this. This is just, hey, when things come across our path that are actually challenging the way that we viewed things. We look at God's way first and we go, God, I want your wisdom. I'm going to go to scripture. I'm going to continually go back and go, what is going to glorify God the most? Because God's ways are always the best ways. And it ends in, uh, my last thought in this is it ends in 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says this, but people who aren't spiritually can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Which comes back to, I love this, is Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is what's going on is how do we react when truth comes along? We ask the Holy Spirit, please guide me and direct me. Tell me what I need to be doing. I'm confused. I'm lost. I'm hurting. I don't know what's going on. But Holy Spirit, would you help me react in the right ways? Instead of blowing up and going, nope, this is all wrong. This doesn't fit my narrative. I'm done. And that's really hard. I'm going to tell you that this one is, even though this one is, there's not much going on in the narrative, I think this is the hardest one for me. Because what happens when a friend betrays us? What happens when we lose a loved one? What happens when injustice just doesn't seem to, to be right? What happens when we don't get our justice? What happens when we're hurting, when we're sad, we're alone, and we go, this isn't right? I think it comes back over and over again and doing exactly what, uh, and I find it funny, uh, Tim and I meet every single week and... Uh, we didn't get to talk about this uh, sermon this week about the songs that he picks. And all the songs he picked are coming back to the goodness of God. Do we trust God to lead us as we react to the truths that come across us? Or do we want to shake a fist at somebody? And I love that last verse. It's the Holy Spirit that will guide us and direct us. And the last piece that kind of goes along with this story is found in the last 10 verses, in verses 25 through 30. And it goes on to say, he wrote this letter to the governors, and this is what the letter says to the governor. From Claudius to his excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by some Jews, and they were about to kill him when I arrived with troops. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to the high council to try to learn 
the basis of the accusations against him. I soon discovered the, charges, the charge was something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him to you. I've told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So that night, as, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatris. They returned to the fortress the next morning while the mounted troops took him to Caesarea. When they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to, letter to Governor Felix. He read it and then asked Paul what province he's from. Cilicia, Paul answered. I will hear your case myself with your accusers when your accusers arrive, the governor told him. Then the governor ordered him to be kept in prison at Herod's headquarters. Still in prison. Still living the truth, but he's still in prison. So once again, no matter the outcome, would the truth be on your lips? Would you make sure your actions are the same as your words? And when faced with the truth, how do you react? And Paul, the whole entire time, is trying to react in, in his calling by doing what God has called him to do, which is the last point in your notes. I'm going to ask the worship band to come forward as I finish this, and it's this, is that wherever you find yourself, be ready to share your hope. Even when it seems like there is no hope, there always is. What is our ultimate hope? Our ultimate hope is that we, at the very end of this, are resurrected and are with God for eternity. That, that is our hope. That is that whatever is going on in the world around us, the hope is that God, you've got everything under control. And at the very end of this, because your son Jesus Christ has died on the cross for my sins and, and I have salvation, because when I understand the truth in my life that my sin has taken me away from you, my hope is is that you've covered my sin that I share eternity with God and wouldn't we want everybody to have that there are people that walk around without truth there are people that walk around with sitting there going God's not worth it there are people that walk around with bitterness, anger, jealousy rage there are people that walk around with a false sense of hope. And wouldn't it be amazing that wherever you find yourself, you get to share your hope. Even in the midst of prison of going, okay, great, I'm here now. I'm going to continue just to do what God has called me to do. What is getting in the way of you to be able to do that? Have you put yourself in a mindset where, man, I, I don't have much hope? Have you dug yourself in such a hole where you're just asking, God, I need you to lift me up out of it? And I think 
that the rest of scripture has a lot to answer hey this is how we're ready to share our hope it's found in first peter 3 15 and this is what it says instead you must worship christ as the lord of your life and if someone asks about your hope as a believer always be ready to explain it at every moment i'm worshiping god in hebrews 10 24 through 25 goes on to say this it says let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and if you know somebody who is just feeling hopeless hey motivate them would you and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near and then we find in second timothy 1 8 a final exhortation from paul to say hey so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I am in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. If there's anything that Paul uh, has, or that Acts has taught us, I think is this, is that God is trustworthy, that God has got everything under control, that God is our salvation. And he is our hope. And that at every single moment, we are the witnesses of that hope. It's not to browbeat somebody, but it is a, it is a mindset. This is my mindset of going and walking with God as my hope. So let's sing this song and I'm going to come back and end in the closing prayer. just have one last thing as I was just sitting here going uh, I I love our church you guys are unbelievable and uh, man we just got to keep on being God's witness that's exactly what he's asking us to do and and I know that you guys are, are doing that and so let's let's keep on being that let's keep on desiring to be spirit-filled so that we can be God's witness everywhere we go God, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to be your witness so that the world knows that you alone are Father and that you alone are good. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for this amazing church and would we continue just to desire you more and more so that we can be your witness. In your name we pray, amen. I love you all. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.